Well, turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18, we're continuing, of course, our study of this powerful book, the book of Exodus. We're almost to the end of what we're going to do. I mean, let's be honest. As we, when you get past, as, when you get into chapter 20, you start getting the law, and we may look a little bit of that, and then after that, it, it's a little bit, a little bit, uh, Complex in the sense of things that it's not exactly what we want to look at. So we'll probably get through about or at least up to chapter 20 and then we'll probably start a different study. As you remember, we started with the book of Exodus, excuse me, the book of Genesis went all the way through and of course the book of Genesis ends with the nation of Israel in Egypt. We had to see what happened and had to get them out of Egypt and now we're just about, in fact, we're really right at Mount Sinai, which is called Mount Horeb in the Bible, sometimes called the Mount of God and we'll see where they are. We're seeing, of course, God's deliverance of his people Israel from Egypt his provision, his protection. He brings them to the promised land. And the people have left Egypt. There are about two million of them. They're on the way they're on their way south, headed to Mount Sinai, where God's going to give them the law. And this evening, they're really near the mountain at a place called Rephidim, and it's the mountain of God. Moses is met by his father-in-law Jethro and his wife and two sons. And as we look at this passage, I think there's several things to stand out that we want to look at. One, we see Jethro's response to Moses and to all that God has done for Israel. I mean, what, what does he do? And, we, and I think it's things that we need to do because it's the idea of praise and worship and what it boils down to. Then we see Moses, his action as a leader, as he stands, basically he sits and the people stand all day long as he judges. And then we see Jethro's advice. Now, we're not going to get all of the advice tonight. In fact, all we really see is Jethro basically saying, what you're doing is not good. And we're going to see how what happens. And, and then probably next time, we'll actually go into the details on the idea of delegation and those kind of things. For the next few weeks, as we study this passage, we see the great truths about leadership and about delegation. And we want to see how all that fits together. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to uh, come together to sing, to pray to praise your name, to study the Bible, to make application. Lord, the goal is that our lives will be changed, that as we, as we come and respond to you, to who you are and what you've done. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us a written revelation. We call it the Bible, the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, for the Old Testament, the things that are written there. They're written for our instruction. So, Lord, we just ask you that as we study, that we can see things there that we can make application in our own lives. Thank you, Lord, for the believers. Thank you that we get to come together and worship you tonight. Teach us, Lord, as we study. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, God has given to each of us a commission. You know, those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, we, it's a commission. We call it the Great Commission, and we go into the world. We know it's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's called to make disciples. Jesus came out and spoke, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples. We know that making disciples includes two things. It's evangelism and training. It's evangelism, in which, uh, which is, is where we lead people to Christ. We go and we go where they are, and we tell them the good news message, and we represent Jesus Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech through us. We tell them about the death and resurrection of Christ. That's the evangelism. Then there's the training part in which we tell them about God. We help them know and apply the word of God so they can grow after they trust in Christ so they can be equipped. The Ephesians 4 passage talks about that. Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Well, this evening we're going to see that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes to Moses and Moses gets an opportunity to tell him all the great things that God has done for Israel. He makes known to Jethro the greatness of God. In a sense, that's what we do. We make known to people the greatness of God. We make known to people the message of salvation. We make known to people the, the truths and the principles of the Bible. And what we see is Jethro responds. And Jethro responds with praise and worship. And as we see this passage, we'll, we'll see about that as well. And as we realize that we have that great privilege 
of making disciples and telling people what God has done. And so we'll look at it as we go through. As we begin, let me remind you of where we are. The nation of Israel has come out of Egypt. They're on their way to Mount Sinai. In fact, they're really at Mount Sinai. It's called Rephidim. And if you remember where Moses hit the rock and the water came out, that was at the Mount of God. And as you look really in chapter 18 and then you get into chapter 19, we're going to see that God appears. God appears to them right there. That's the mountain. That's the mountain where they got the where they get the law. And Moses is going to go up on the mountain. They're going to tell everybody, do not touch the mountain. Get back. Moses is the only one that goes up. He comes back down. Then Moses and Aaron go up. And we're going to see some incredible things. We'll, we'll look at those passages as well. And so we see the nation of Israel is there. God has provided over and over again. You remember the problems that they've had? First of all, they came to the place called Myra because they had bitter water. And God gave them good water. Then they came to the place where in the wilderness. They said they had no food. And so God brought the birds into the camp and then he put the manna out every morning. Then they came to the place at Rephidim, which was there's no water, and he struck the rock and the water came out. And then right after that, the enemy, uh, the enemy called the Amalekites or Amalek came and attacked them. And God, of course, gave the victory. So over and over, God is always providing and taking care of them over and over again. Well, they're, they're almost, or we might say they are to Sinai, and Moses is joined by his father-in-law and his two sons. Now, as we look at this passage, let me remind you of several things. One, we're going to review View Moses and his family. Number two, we're going to see Jethro's response to all that God had done, and we're going to see Moses' leadership and Jethro's advice. And so we'll see some things there as we go through the passage. Look at, at chapter 18. Look at verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, think about Jethro. Jethro was the priest of Midian. Now, let's talk about this. If you remember all the way back to in Exodus chapter 2, when Moses had to flee from Egypt. You remember Moses raised up, uh, was basically his life was saved when his little baby. Pharaoh's daughter came down and got him, and she raised him, and he was raised all the way to 40 years old in the in uh, in Egypt. And at age 40, got in, in, in a sense, got into trouble. He killed a man. He went out to identify with the Jewish people, his own people, ended up killing a man, having to run, and he left, and he went to Midian, which was out in the wilderness, basically. And when he got to Midian, he met a man named Jethro, and he took care of Jethro's flock. And while he was out there, he met Jethro's daughter. Jethro's daughter was named Zipporah, and he married her, and he had two sons, and he was there for 40 years. So when he was 80 years old, and for most of us would say, Moses would have said, you know, my life was supposed to be great. I was supposed to do great things for God, and I blew it. And so... My life is over. And so he's now 80 years old. He spent 40 years of his life taking care of sheep on the backside of the desert. And if you came to him and said, Moses, I thought you were supposed to be a great leader. I thought that you had been told by your parents and that, that you were supposed to be that special child, the one who was going to be, the one who was going to deliver Israel. And he said, yeah, I thought I was. But I blew it, obviously. And so all I've done is take care of sheep for 40 years. And what we didn't realize or what Moses didn't realize is God was just training him. Because his training in Egypt for 40 years didn't help him. His training in the wilderness, taking care of sheep for 40 years, is the thing that's going to help him because he's led the nation of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, and he's their shepherd, and he's taking care of them. So for those 40 years, he lived with... uh, with uh, Jethro and his wife Zipporah and his two sons. We'll talk more about that. He's called a priest, the priest of Midian. Now, there's a little dispute. Let me tell you what I mean. A little dispute because some people say they don't believe at the, to this point that Jethro may have been a believer in the true God. 
even though he's called a priest, because there are a lot of different priests. People call themselves priests, priests of different gods and all that kind of thing. I personally think that the best way I look at it, I think Moses, I think uh, Jethro is a believer. I think being the priest of Midian, we'll see it more in a minute, and I'll show you a verse that people look at and say, well, that shows that he wasn't a believer and now he maybe is. Anyway, we'll see it as we go through it. It said this, that Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how, God, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. The word has reached them. And in fact, the word has spread out to a lot of people. We're going to see years later, 40 years later, when the nation of Israel gets ready to go into the promised land and they're ready to fight Jericho and all of this, the people in Jericho said, we know what your God did to Egypt. That was 40 years ago. What did he heard? He heard that God had given them freedom from slavery, that he had delivered them from the Egyptians, that he had parted the Red Sea, that he was providing for them. The truth of God's deliverance had spread. And Jethro heard all that God had done. Now we realize that the truth of God's deliverance uh, for us also has spread. Think about it. We have the great message of salvation and we get to tell people and we get to go into the, all this whole world and tell people about Jesus Christ. We get to say that Jesus died and rose again and all who believe in him have eternal life. That's what we get to do. We get to take that message in the same way that the message spread about what God had done in Egypt for the Israelites. We get to take into this community and in this world what God has done. Now, let me just say something. You may think that the people you see every day, that they don't want to know about God and that they don't want to know about Jesus and they don't want to understand. That's wrong. You're going to find that most people are open to the truth. There, there's been some studies done about people and their, their openness to the gospel. And what we find is about four out of five people are open to the message of Jesus Christ. There is a, there is a percentage of people that they've, they've made up their minds or they're angry or they had a bad aspect and you start talking to them about Christ and they don't like it. They don't want to hear it. They say, oh, I'm not listening to that. I, but that's a small percentage. Most people that you talk to are going to be open. It doesn't mean they're going to believe, but it means they're going to be open to hear what you have to say. So when we go in this message, we don't have to say, nobody's listening, nobody cares, nobody... Listen, four out of five people, they're saying, are open to listen to what you have to say. So here's what happened. Look, verse 2. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife, Zipporah, after he sent her away. Now, let me remind you about this. Jethro had take, taken Moses' wife, Zipporah, after he sent her away. What do you mean sent her away? Do you remember? Now, this was a weird, this is one of the most, it's one of the most strange passages in the scripture. When God told Moses to go to Egypt and deliver his people, to go and tell Pharaoh to let the people go, Moses left with Zipporah, his wife, and his two sons. They got to this one camp, and it was the weirdest thing because we couldn't tell exactly what happened, but it had something to do with circumcision. It had something to do with maybe the boys hadn't been circumcised. We don't know what it is, but it looked like Moses, because it actually said God was going to kill Moses, and Zipporah stepped in, and they did something, and they argued, and when it was all over, the best we can tell is Moses sent Zipporah and the two boys back. They didn't go with him. And that's why it says here that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife Zipporah after he sent her away. And back, way back in, in that, that passage in chapter 4 of 
Exodus. And if you don't want to, take some time to go read it. It's a strange passage. We talked about it when we studied it, of course. But he sent them back. They did not go with him to Egypt when he went in there and challenged Pharaoh. Now they've been with Jethro. Look at this. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' uh, wife Zipporah after he had sent her away and her two sons, of whom one was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have been a soldier in the foreign land. The other was named Eleazar, for he said, the God of my fathers was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now, here's what we find. We see the two boys' names. One of them is named Gershom, which literally means to be sent away. Because remember, he said, I have been a soldier in a foreign land. He was sent away. He'd been a stranger. He'd been away from his people in the wilderness. The other name of the son is Eleazar, which means my God is help. And what he said is, God delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now, we're not sure exactly when that is, but we think he's talking about when Moses uh, had killed that man and then Pharaoh was going to kill him and he got away and came to Midian. That's what we think. And so he's got these two sons. So their names, Gershon, because he had to leave Egypt, and Eleazar, how God kept him alive from Pharaoh. So that's his two boys. And so he's got a wife and two boys, and his father-in-law is bringing them. Notice verse 5. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was camped. And notice where they are camped. Where is it? At the Mount of God. Now let me ask you something. What is the Mount of God? Mount Sinai. It's also called Mount Horeb. It's also called Rephidim. Rephidim is a little area right by uh, Mount Sinai. Now, he, we find they're coming to meet Moses. It's been a while, by the way. It's been a while since they've seen each other. Not sure how long. And notice what he does. He sent word to Moses. I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Notice how he phrased that. Do you notice anything about that? What does it say? Her two sons? Uh, whose sons are they? They're Moses too, but he didn't see it that way. Now, why Why did he send this word? Well, we look at it like this. Could it just be to let him know no surprise? You know, all of a sudden his family shows up? That's not, you know. But there's a second thing. Be ready to meet the family. Because let me tell you something. It seems that they did not part on good terms. Something isn't Right. Let me tell you one thing about the Bible. It, it, it never glosses over anything. And it's probably been eight to ten months since he left. They've been, by the time they get all of this going there, plagues and coming back, it's probably been close to six to eight months since he's seen his family. And I want you to notice something in the next couple of verses. What is it like when Moses sees Jethro? his wife, and his two sons. How does the passage describe it? We'll see it in just a second. And it just seems to me that there's something not right. And so the Bible doesn't, doesn't you know, cover it all up. The be- you know, let's just face it. Moses and his wife and his kids, they, they, it wasn't a great relationship. Sometimes we look at the Bible and we say, Moses, and we say, Moses, the, the, great, the great man Moses. Well, Moses murdered a man. Moses got mad and and hit a rock when he wasn't supposed to and didn't get to go in the promised land. And Moses was a great leader, but Moses is just like us. If you said, hey, Moses, how, how's, your, uh, how's your home life, man? You know, because you've been really busy being a great leader. You've been really working hard for God, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. How's your home life? And that's pretty good, right? That's what he might say. 
And we'll see it as we read the passage. I want you to see it. God's word never hides things. It appears the relationship with Moses and his family is not good. It appears they actually parted on bad terms. And watch what happens. Look at verse 7. Then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down, and he kissed him, and they asked each other their welfare and went into the tent. That's it. Does it say, and Moses saw Zipporah, and they hugged. And they said, oh, I missed you so much. And does it say, and Moses saw his sons who he had missing, and he hugged them greatly, and they all rejoiced that they were together. Does it say any of that? Doesn't even mention them. Now, maybe all he's doing is just talking about the father-in-law, and maybe maybe he was the greatest, and they all hugged and kissed, and they were so great. And then it just says, oh, by the way, now, when he dealt with his father-in-law, and maybe maybe Moses, who wrote this, by the way, did who wrote this book? Moses did. Maybe Moses decided not to put anything in there. Who knows? We don't know. Maybe he said, I'm just not going to talk about it because it's not that good. Who knows? But it's amazing that he it says he sees his father-in-law. He kisses him. They bow down. They talk to each other. They go into the tent. And there's no mention of his wife and his boys. Now, Moses, I want you to understand. What does Moses do when he sees his father-in-law? He bowed down and kissed him. Now let me ask you something. Who, who, who at this time is the greatest leader, what we'd say, in the world? Moses. Uh, who, who, who talks to God face to face? Moses. I mean, look at this. Think about Moses. He's a prophet of God. Moses was a humble man. He was a prophet of God. He talked to God. He led the nation. He confronted Pharaoh. If anybody would be a great leader and who could say, listen, I, I, you know, I've done some things, it'd be Moses. But what does he do when he sees his father-in-law? Bows down. He shows great humility. And I think one of the keys we find in our relationships with each other, if you want to have a key, it's humility and respect. Philippians 2 says, in humility, treat others as more important than ourselves. Let me just tell you this, and it's the truth. No matter what you are doing, it doesn't matter whether it's your job, whether it's school, whether it's a church, whether it's a family. The key is relationships. That's what it is. You can be the best and skilled person at a job, but if you can't get along with the people, you won't have a job very long. It is your ability to relate to other people. That's the key. We're going to see that Moses was able to do that. Moses was an amazing man. He shows humility here. And uh, when the things got tough, oftentimes he'd go straight to God. They went into the tent so they could discuss things. It says they asked each other their welfare and they went into the tent. Moses wants the opportunity to tell Jethro what God had done. Watch what we see. Look at verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had befallen them on the journey, and how the Lord had delivered them. Now, Moses is telling Jethro all that God has done. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. He says, first of all, y'all help me on this. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. What did they do? What had God done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians? All the plagues. Think of the plagues. What were some of the plagues? The, 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 the flies and, the, and the, the frogs 
the death of the firstborn and the river Nile to, to blood and, and the hail that came down and all the different things that, and the darkness. I mean, he did all of that to the Egyptians and to Pharaoh. And then, notice this, and that all the hardship that had befallen them on the journey and how the Lord had delivered them. What is some of the hardship on the journey? They had no food, so what did he do? Gave them manna. They had no what? No water, so he got it out of the rock. They had no, they had bad water, and what did he do? He made it taste good. Enemy attacked him. What did he do? So you can see Moses saying, let me tell you, then we came to the rock. We, we came, we didn't have any water. The people were all, in fact, they were going to stone me, and I went to God. He said, hit the rock. I hit the rock, water came out. He said, every day, just wait till tomorrow morning. You know what's going to happen? Tomorrow morning, we're going to wake up, and there's going to be, what is it, all over the ground. Right? Because that's what the word mana means. It means, what is it? That's what manna is. Because they didn't know what to call it. They said, what is it? And he told him everything. Now, let me tell you something. We have the privilege of telling others the same. How God has delivered us and provided for us. We have the same privilege. One of the things that... Uh, I've got a group of guys that meet on Tuesday morning and a group of guys that meet on Thursday morning. And one of the things we're doing is all of us are working on our testimony. And what I mean by our testimony is how we came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And we want to be able, in five minutes, seven minutes, to be able to stand up and say, I want to tell you how I came to know Christ. And give a little background and how we trusted in Christ. Because what we're doing is the privilege of telling other people how Jesus Christ saved us. And that's what we want to be able to do. And uh, just just like you, you want to be able to go out these doors and you want to tell what God has done for you and how he saved you and he's given you this and how the scripture fits together. Just as the Passover lamb delivered the nation of Egypt, as they delivered the nation from Egypt, our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, delivered us from the bondage of sin. Jesus died and rose again, and whoever believes in him has eternal life. Salvation is costly. It costs God his son, but it is free to us. Our position as a child of God, we have eternal life based on faith in Jesus Christ. Think of all that we have. I, I like to say it this way. Think, he's given us the Bible. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us spiritual gifts. He's given us the local body. He's given us all that we need. Just as Moses told Jethro all these things, we get to tell other people. How does Jethro respond? And I'm going to go quickly through this last part. How does Jethro respond? Look what he did. He rejoiced. Look at verse 9. Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hands of the Egyptians. He said, this is fantastic. What God has done, God had taken the nation and rescued them. And we get to rejoice too because of what God has done for us. And let me tell you, it is so easy to take for granted our salvation. We wake up every day and we don't really rejoice that you have another day and that God has saved us and that we have eternal life. And we don't have to sit around in fear wondering if we're going to be with God for, forever or not. Because we can know that we have eternal life. Well, look what Jethro does. Verse 10. So Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians, from the hand of Pharaoh, and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord, look at it, capital L-O-R-D, all capitals, that's the personal name of God. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all God, all the gods. Indeed, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people, the gods dealt proudly against the people. That's where God judged the gods of Egypt. Now some people say in verse 11, Jethro is saying, okay, now I believe that the God of Israel is the best God. Some people say that this is when he first believes. 
I, I don't really, I look at it a little bit differently. I believe he's just saying, now we know what God is like. Now I know how the Lord is so great and how he judged everything. I don't think it's the first time. Now, some people could take it the other way. And you, as you do your own study, you decide what you think. Now look at verse 12, how he responds. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now let me just tell you something. We don't have the Mosaic law yet. Sometimes people, when they read these things, they say, Oh, okay, that was that and this was this because under the law, you didn't have the law yet. They hadn't gone up on Mount Sinai and got the law. But you see that he does two things. First of all, he offered sacrifices, and I think I've got two. He offered burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, let me remind you of the difference there. A burnt offering was a picture of dedication. They would take an animal, and they would burn it completely up. And it was symbolic of them saying, I'm giving my life to God totally. We can do that. We can say, Lord, I, I, this is as a saved person, as a Christian, you say, Lord, I want my life to count for you. The second thing was a sacrifice. Sacrifices, and it's really a picture of fellowship because notice what they did. He took the burnt offering and the sacrifices for God, and Aaron came with the elders of Israel, and what did they do? They came to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law before God. The idea of sacrifices here is an idea of fellowship, and oftentimes they would offer sacrifices, take the sacrifice, and eat it with the rest of the people as a fellowship. I want you to think about this. We can offer these same sacrifices. First of all, we're saved by grace through faith. Cost us nothing. But as a child of God, we have the privilege of worshiping and we can do sacrifices. First of all, the first one is dedication. Where we offer our lives, just like he offered a burnt offering, we can say, God, I give you my life. Romans 12, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. We get to do that. I hope and pray. Let me, let me tell you, I've said this many, many times. But when you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're saved and you're saved forever and it costs you absolutely nothing. It's a gift and you're saved forever. There comes a time in your life that you have the privilege and you can say, Lord, I want my life to count for you and it costs you your life. And, and we call it off, sometimes we call it discipleship. We call it a lot of different things, but it's where we say, I want my life to count for you. That's like offering a burnt offering except you're offering your life. And the second thing is we can do the fellowship aspect. And that's where we, we, we fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers. And we think about this. Jethro's response to the greatness of God is he offered his life in fellowship. We, in our response to the greatness of God, offer our lives in fellowship. Now, we've seen that. I want to go really quickly through these last verses, and we'll come back on them next week to get a little detail. Look at verse 13. It came out the next day that Moses set to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from the morning until evening. Now, can you imagine when Moses got up in the morning, there were people lining up. Why are they lining up? Well, they got issues. Uh, this guy, he took my stuff. Uh, this was, this was mine, and, and it, uh, he, he stood over here, and he was supposed to be over there. So we're going to Moses to find out who's right on this. And they're lined up, and you can see them in line from the morning to the evening. You want to get there early. Why? Because Moses is going to come out, and he's going to say, what, what's up? And they're going to tell the story, and Moses is going to say, well, the best that I know from God, and from what God has revealed to me, this is what's right. And they leave. Next, and the next one comes up. So notice, it says... And it came about the next day that Moses set to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from the morning till the evening. Then when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What's this thing you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge, and all the people stand about you from morning to evening? He says, Why do you judge? 
You stand and the people stand all day long. I mean, he says, you judge and the people stand all day long. Jethro came over and said, what are you, what are you doing? At the end of the day, he probably came over and said, what are you doing? He said, well, the, I'm judging. I'm judging the people. He said, why are you doing this? Moses said in verse 15 to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me. I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. I tell them what God says. Because, see, I get to talk to God. So they come up to me and they say, what are we supposed to do about this? And I say, well, I'll tell you. And then they leave. And then the next people come. And Jethro says, you're here all day long. People are here all day long. They stand in line all day long. Watch what he says. Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you're doing is not good. The thing you're doing is not good? Now, Moses could say, no, wait, whoa, 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 you can't say it's not good. I'm doing the work of God. I'm doing the right thing. I'm telling people the Bible. I'm helping them understand these things. I'm standing here as the judge of Israel. What do you mean it's not good? Well, I want you to understand, it was not what he was doing that was not good, but how he was doing it. He was trying to do all of the ministry by himself. You can't do all ministry. If you could do all the ministry, you'd be the only one here. If you can do it by yourself, you don't need anybody else. We don't need the body of Christ. Look what he says, and this is where we stop. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you. Why? For the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. It's too heavy. You wear yourself out. We'll see. How do we do ministry? And the answer is delegation. And let me, let me expl- I'll explain more next week, but this is the bottom line. Every one of us in this room have gifts, talents, and abilities. Every one of us. We're all in this body together. Not one person does all the ministry. In fact, one person can't do all the ministry. And not a few people are supposed to do all the ministry. Every one of us are to do the ministry. Based on the gifts, talents, and abilities that you have, you need to serve within the body. That way, some people aren't doing what you should be doing. Everyone should be doing the ministry that God has for them. What Jethro says to Moses, Moses, you're here all day long. You're wearing out the people. You're wearing out yourself. It's too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. We're going to see more next time. Jethro and his family come to meet Moses and, and uh, our Moses family. Jethro and Moses' family come. And Moses tells Jethro all that God had done. And Jethro's response is praise and adoration and worship. Moses sits to judge. And Jethro says, that's not good. You're going to wear yourself and the people out. So let me give you some applications to think about. First of all, let's respond to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's respond to him. First of all, here's what we do. Realize all that he has done for us. Think about it. He is a great God. He has created us. He has redeemed us. He has saved us through his son. He sent Jesus to die and rise again. We're not saved by our merit or our goodness, but simply by God's grace and mercy in his son. So think about all that he has done for us. That's how we respond. When when we come together, worship is responding to God, to who he is and what he has done. So we think about that. Second, let's worship him and praise him. I mean, we can do it when we sing, we can do it when we talk, we can do it anytime. We, we respond to God through worship and praise. People fail to focus on God. 
Sometimes people come to church and they say, oh, I didn't get anything out of that. Look, worship is not what you get out of it. Worship is what you give. You've come to give your praise and adoration and respond to God. And by the way, when you do that, you'll probably get a lot out of it because you're, you're fellowshipping and worshiping your great God and Savior. The third thing tying into this response is offer our lives to God in service. As a believer, if you've never done that, Listen, I trusted Christ when I was 19, when I was 26 or 27, somewhere in there. That's when I said to God, I want my life to count for you. You don't have to wait that long. When you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you can even come to God then and say, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? You must get to a point where you say, I just want my life to count for you. The second thing, and this is, we'll just touch on this, and that is gain an understanding of ministry. Realize it's not done by one, but by the whole body. It's not by one person. It is by all of us using the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given us. I love this quote from D.L. Moody. Moody said this, There are many who are willing to do great things for God, but few of us are willing to do little things. Whatever God wants you to do, do it. It's not important how much we do for God, but how much God does through us. What are your gifts and talents? Let me tell you something. What is your passion? You gotta do it. You gotta wake up in the morning saying, I can hardly wait to do this. When you think about serving in the body, and, and first of all, just for your job, for what you do for a living, what you, you, you should love it. This should be something that you're gifted at, that you love it, and you can hardly wait to go to work. And let me tell you, if you don't want to go to work, you need to find something you love to do. Money's not the issue, it's what you want to do. Second, though, involved in the body of Christ. Find out where you're gifted. Do different things, serve until you find where you're gifted. You may know your spiritual gifts. Your gifts may be teaching or maybe administration, maybe helps, whatever it is. Find and plug in. And you'll, you can, you'll hardly wait. You can say, I can hardly wait to do this. I can hardly wait to do that. You know my gifts is teaching. I, I can hardly wait to teach. I never get tired of teaching. I get tired sometimes physically. I'm never tired of teaching. I can hardly wait to do it. Some of you have different gifts, whatever they are. You you should say, I just want my life to count for Christ, and I want to serve Him, and I want to serve Him in my area of giftedness. And you'll never wear out. You'll be so excited, and the body will be built up. We'll talk more about this whole idea of delegation, how things fit next time. May we worship our God and Savior, offering our lives as we serve together to fulfill the ministry that God has for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for the pastors. Thank you for Moses, and we thank you for uh, Jethro, and we thank you for all these different things that we see. Uh, most of all, Lord, thank you for our Savior Jesus. And as we think about what, what Jesus has done for us, uh, Lord, may we never take it for granted and may we proclaim it and tell people so that people can know and may we offer our lives and live for Him and, and all of the things that we talked about tonight. And then, Lord, thank You for ministry. Thank You for the opportunity that You've placed us in the local body with gifts, talents, and abilities. May we use them for Your honor and Your glory. Thank You, Lord, for each one. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.